0: During that week. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came with their lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, did what? Went forward. Oh. All things that would come upon him. He said, I'm just going to not, I'm not stepping behind these trees or hiding, which is what the Romans and them thought. That's why they got torches. I'm just going to step forward right out in the middle of it because I'm doing the will of the Father. Went forward and said to them, Who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Just to make sure I want the first name and the last. (laughs) I want to make sure this is the person the Romans thought. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell To the ground, a miraculous and beautiful picture of the power of God barely being able to contain in the person of Jesus. They fell to the ground. Christ would be crucified very soon, but we remember that no man took his life, that he laid it down. Even the Roman garrison, fully armed SWAT, was fallen to the ground just as his mouth opened. Well, let's look at this and learn some things from the Word of God as we move forward. You've got some notes there, and it's full. Look, we went two weeks with blank notes. I almost lost my mind. I last, two weeks ago, was just, the Lord had spoken to me some things, and I, after our week of prayer and fasting, and it was good. We had a great God service. God just came and moved. Praise God. He's so gracious. We thank Him for that. And then last week was Pastor Mike, and he's such a hip shooter. We hate those people. They, they prep for five minutes, and they just walk, bam, 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 bam. I've been mean, out there for you know, four or five hours just trying to get through the text before I even got a point down. Hip shooters. But, so I just crammed everything I could cram in there. We almost had to make the font smaller just to get it in there. <laughs> I'm going to make up for it. Let's learn something from the Word of God here. Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words... Then he went out with his disciples. What words? Why does it say that when Jesus had spoken these words? It's important that we know what are the previous words, because it's going to tell us something, because everything's about to change in the life of disciples. Everything's about to change. Christ is going to be crucified. He's going to be dead and buried, resurrected. He's going to be seen by the 500 and ascend. So he's When Jesus has spoken these words, it's very important for the church throughout all of history. Well, let's just look at it right here, John 17. We're going to read 20 to 23. This is Jesus praying. I love that he prayed for me. He ever lives to make intercession for me. You know, you only pray for people you really love, you really care about. You don't have them on your prayer list. "Ah, I love it. It's the same. He loves you. He says in verse 20, I do not pray for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What is this prayer that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And that oneness that the word, what's going product of that oneness. What is the product? that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me i have given to them they'll lack no good thing they got the glory of god with them that they may be one just as we are one i and them and you and me and that the and that they may be made perfect in one and that again he says and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me hmm Jesus makes a very pungent, very specific statement about how we're going to reach the world and how it's going to happen. Number one on your notes. Unity is God's instrument of evangelism. Unity is His instrument of evangelism. There's all kind of books and studies and everything else about how to reach people, how to reach millennials, how we're going to reach a future generation, this and that. Those are all good. I'm for those. i try to be a studier. I I want to know what's going on and stuff. But I'm going to tell you, if Jesus said unity is the way the world will know that you're mine and I'm you and you won't have to convince them, they're going to know, what do you think the greatest attack of the enemy will be on the church? You got it. We must be aware of this. This is Words were so fresh out of the mouth of Jesus. And here comes Rome and the world and the church and every Judas and everyone to bring what? Division. So we must know, okay, Lord, unity is your instrument. I'm going to make sure I keep that thing in tune. This morning I was doing my, my prayer time and Blue got here early with his family. He scared me. He opened the door and his guitar hit the wall right there. I was like, whoa, I never heard the Lord speak like that. (laughs) Boom. Man's here early working. Listen, he's good, but the reason he's good and worship was so great and it was blue, thank you so much and whole team. He is here tuning it up early, double handed, making sure that thing's tuned. Now, if he got up here and that thing wasn't tuned, even us tone deaf people, right? Come on. This is us concerning our unity. With Christ and right here, our brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen. Come on, we're gonna stay in tune. You, we are his instrument, and I'm not gonna get cross with anyone for long. Sometimes we get cross with people, but I'm gonna fix it quick. I'm gonna pray through it quick. I'm gonna live a, with offense against no man. Yeah. I can stand before the living God and say, I'm not mad at anyone on this planet. I don't harbor your will or feelings. Maybe I did a little last week. I fixed that thing. Come on, unity is God's instrument. The world will know over, twice he says it right there, by the love you have for one another, by this unity, it's going to be the model of the Trinity. You're going to model the unity we have right there. In fact, in Matthew 5, it says, don't even bring your gift and leave it at the altar if you don't have unity with your brother. Go leave that thing. Don't give it yet. Go fix and do the unity that I want you to have and then come back and give your offering. All right, that's point one. There's a side note here I never saw in the Bible. I, I always learn something when I study, and that's why I love to study. The brook Kidron, it says right there, they went over the brook Kidron. You know, you read that and like, okay, I didn't, I didn't really know what that was. So I was doing all this study. It was a small brook, about two and a half, three miles long, that, that um, flowed right next to the temple. It was a seasonal water brook. You know, it was dry there, so only sometimes it had water in it. This time of the year, it usually did. And specifically, it was the drainage for the temple. Well, what's been going on all week, big time, because <laughs> you're already ahead of me, because Passover's been going on all week and people from all over Israel are in Jerusalem, and they've been sacrificing by the thousands. Now, I never saw that picture, but when Jesus stepped over that brook, and I, I read it from multiple theologians, they believed that thing was tinted red. And I thought, oh, oh, the blood of thousands and thousands could not cleanse. But when my Savior stepped over it, he said, my blood will wash him white as snow. Oh, see how rich every word of the Bible is? Every word, every the brook, it feeds me. It makes me alive. It makes me worship. Oh, it was stained red. The disciples probably would have seen it, too. Oh, I love it. I love it. Let's keep looking here. Verse 2. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. As I said, he had been meeting there that week in the evenings. Because remember, every day, only during the Passover, every day he went up and taught. He was in the synagogue every day, excuse me, the temple every day. And then in the evening, he, he got away. He said, I'm just going to go get in the woods here. I need some quiet time. <laughs> I got to recharge. He often met there, which he had been doing it, like I said, when he visited Jerusalem. The vast majority of his ministry was in Galilee. But when he visited Jerusalem and then all week, Judas knows exactly where to find him. Jesus had no problem saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what people are plotting or planning are going to do. I've committed my soul to the one who's the Lover of my soul, my father, I've committed it to, to him. I will live this life of open vulnerability. He just is so open and vulnerable. I don't care if they know where I am. My hand, every breath I breathe is in the father's timing. Oh, that is such a beautiful picture. Uh, I messed it up there. Verse, chapter Number two, Christianity is a life of vulnerability. Christianity is a life of vulnerability. I love the way he's so vulnerable. I didn't hit their crescendo, but I have three more points to hit their crescendo. <laughs> That's what's great about having five points and not one. I could miss a couple times and still hit it. <laughs> he's so vulnerable. Also, knew the place for Jesus often met there. I love the way Jesus, his whole life, just lived like this. With the, with the highest rank and with the lowest leper. Here he is. So tell me, any philosophy, any religion, anything else in the world like that, there is no, that's why Jesus is God and he alone is Savior. He lives like this the whole time. There is nowhere else on the planet that lives such truthfulness and such Vulnerability. There's a great picture of this in history. There was a king, my uh, Dutch is not so great, or whatever that language is, Scandinavian language, King Canut. He was was a, a king not only of one country, but of an alliance, of a small empire, Denmark, England, and Norway, called the North Sea Empire between 1016 and 1035, where Up there, it was very tribal and scattered. He had really gathered. He was a really great leader. Clearly, he was a great military leader, a political leader. Well, because he had all these natural talents and abilities, everyone praised him. Even maybe they just praised him with their mouth, but their hearts were far from him. And they would bring accolades to him and tell him how great he was. And one such time, this flattery was in full motion. And they began to say, you're the most powerful king of all, your highness. There is nothing you cannot do, nothing you cannot do in the world. The world would obey you if it had to. The king said, hmm, said, do you think if I went to the ocean and I told the ocean to stop, the waves to stop, that it would obey me? I don't know why they did this. They said, yes, king, it would obey you. Even the ocean would obey you. They went down to the cold waters there, and the king commanded that his royal chair be brought to the, to the seaside there. They set it there right at the ocean. So the king sits down and said, are you sure? Do you believe that this they would obey me, the waves? he said, oh, yes, king, everyone in anything would obey you. You are the greatest king. So he sits down and he tells that tide coming in, stop right there, you tide, I command you. The tide rolls in, boosh, hits the royal feet. It's cold. (laughs) He continues, I said I commanded you, stop right there. The tide keeps coming in. He does this for some time until the tide rolls fully in and the waves are lapping him in the knees and the royal seat is soaking wet. He's wet from here down. This is what he says. Finally, he turned to his entourage and said, let's look at this picture before I do this quote. I'm sorry, I didn't realize he was in a kilt. Sorry, I didn't see that before. Too many kilts. It seems I do not have so quite as much power as you would have me to believe. Perhaps now you will remember there is only one king who is all-powerful, and it is he who rules the seas and holds the oceans in the hollow of his hand. I suggest you reserve your praises for him and him alone. I'm going to tell you, I don't know a lot of kings, but they don't act like that. That is some vulnerability. I'm going to tell you where he learned that from. I think he's read this book right here. He said, I can't even make these waves stop. You think I'm powerful? You worship the king. You live a vulnerable life before him. I believe that changed the culture and changed the mindset of everyone in his kingdom. Amen? Didn't it? I think it'll change the culture and the mindset of everyone that you have influence over. People that I don't even know who they are but you do. Let's live that kind of vulnerability. I know we are. I don't have to say, let's do it. We're doing it. Yesterday, we had a leaders meeting, and it was all about, uh, we did a video from Craig Rochelle. It was giving and receiving feedback. We had 28 people here, came and learned, young and old, saying, you know what? I'm going to live a vulnerable life. I need feedback in my life. I need people who love me speaking life to me. And I'll tell you a quick example I asked each group, you know, we had worship and uh, ushers and greeters and whatever. I said, hey, um, why don't you tell me one thing that I need to work on that I'm not aware of? And thank you for lovingly, it was done in such love, telling me, one of the groups said, listen, you're really distractible, Stephen. You're a talk to people and look around all over the place. Now, that doesn't hurt me as much with you guys. Because you know, I know you love me and you know I love you. But they're saying, Stephen, I want you to be a better leader. And when someone new comes in that door, I want you to better focus on them and not look around, look like you're distracted. Because to them, it's, well, this guy doesn't care about me. See, y'all love me. And I'm open with you guys and y'all open with me. Y'all making me better. Amen? Amen? Come on, Christianity is a lifestyle of vulnerability. Vulnerability. Paul said it so beautifully. So wonderfully, so vulnerably in 1 Corinthians 2, 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined I would be so vulnerable, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If I don't know nothing else, I'm just going to focus on the cross. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. This is a dude talking. That is vulnerability like, hey, you want to see the dents in my armor? That's real. I, that's, why, that's why God chose Paul. Changes life like that. I was with you in weakness and fear. I'm going to tell you, we're going to live a life of vulnerability. Amen? Amen? All right, let's keep looking here. Verse 3. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. There's a lot there going on. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops. Okay, we know that's the Romans. There's three words for troops in the Greek in this. And they have three different numbers set to them, how big this group was. The smallest it could have possibly been was 200 men. The second was 600 with 40 uh, uh, cavalry men on horses, and the third was 700. The smallest it could have been was 200 men, armed to the teeth, because they were going to crush this thing. Whatever Rome did, they ruled with an iron fist. That's normal. That should be there, right? Of course. Of course. There's something there that should not be there. Unrecognizably should not be there. And officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. Well, who's that? Who ran the temple? The Pharisees. Who were gods out of the 12 tribes? Who were God's group to run the temple? The Levites. Levites? Wait a minute. Levites not at the temple, Levites going into the garden as a mob with torches, waving and swords and clubs. That should not be in the Bible. Let's see how much that should not be in the Bible when we see when God commissioned the Levites and who they were right there in Numbers 8. I'll read this. I'm going to read two sections, 13 through 15, and then 21. In Numbers 8, 13, this is when God instituted and and called the Levites out for his specific work. "And And you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. They were this worst they were the people who were to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and to make sacrifices and music and all of these things before the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levite shall be mine. After, after that, the Levites shall go into the service. Go in to service the tabernacle of meetings, so you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering. Skip down to 21. And the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. After the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did. This is a picture of God's people set apart, of a country and a culture that are supposed to be doing this with the praises of God, that are supposed to be sacrificing for the cleansing of the people. Where they're supposed to be putting the showbread and the candlesticks and once a year the Holy of Holies and everything about him, right? There's a truth here we need to understand. Number three on your notes. Unrecognizable events happen to us all. This is unrecognizable from who they were. They're supposed to be in the temple with wave offerings. Their hands are still stained with the blood of lambs. And now they have torches, weapons, in anger. What happened? We need to know this. There are times this happens in our relationships, there are times this happens in our country. I can't watch news constantly because I gotta pray more. Maybe I should watch it more, make me pray more. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's dangerous. Just this weekend, just scanning the, the news. Horrible um, young man who killed his family and other people, in, outside of Baton Rouge, uh, New York, uh, uh, abortions, full trimester, killing babies that you could that could live without even a respirator, unrecognizable. This is the culture we're in. But do not fret and do not fear. Be His people, be called by His name, live a holy life, proclaim righteousness in every sphere you have, do what Jesus did, step forward and be the people of God, no matter if it's unrecognizable. That's who He's called us to be, amen? But understand, don't get discouraged and don't fret because you got Levites with torches who been, should have been doing wave offerings to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and they're going to kill him. I never saw that in the Bible like that. I was like, oh my. And he's greater. Is he still King and Lord? Did he rule and reign in Israel and change him? Was there a revival in Israel at Pentecost and Acts? And did he move? So you don't worry. We're going to serve the King. We're going to say, God, it may look unrecognizable. This, this relationship, this child, this marriage, this job, this country, this law, this whatever. But we're going to be his people. We're going to step forward. We're going to be abandoned to him. And he's going to move. Amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord. Amen is right. Here we go. Let's keep looking. Back in John 18. Verse 4. Jesus, therefore knowing all things that would come upon him, all things are laid bare before the God of the universe. There is no secrets or surprises. Went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Went forward and said to them, To his own death, to his own torture, to the creature he created desiring to kill the creator stepped forward and said, who are you seeking? How was he able to do that in his humanity? How was he able to do something like that? Our answer is found in Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. Luke 22, 39. This is a parallel story. We're going to read Luke's account, some of it. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We know Matthew says he prayed this three times. I'm surrendered In my humanity, the thought of this is beyond human comprehension. But he was 100% God and 100% man. And he would fulfill what the first Adam did not. He would not fall under temptation in the garden like the first Adam did. He would succeed where Adam failed. Then angels appeared to him from heaven and stre- heaven strengthening him. I'm going to tell you, if God has to supernaturally come into your life at a point so you don't fall from doing his will. So in your life when he's, because there is no greater force and strain that this world tries to pull you against, it's demonic and your flesh and this uh, secular world is to move you from his will that is the greatest attack you will always feel, is to get you off of the will of God for your life. He will supernaturally, if he has to send angels to do it, he'll do it. And I tell you, there's a secret and a reason why he could step forward like that in that garrison. Because the supernatural strength of God came to him hours before in prayer. And he knew the will of God for his life. When you know the will of God for your life, there's just nothing that can destroy you. Right? There is a supernatural strength. I know this is what God called me to do. I know this is what He told me to do, and He will supernaturally strengthen you. Number four in your notes: God's knowing God's will strengthens you in the hardest times of life. Knowing God's will strengthens you in the hardest times, the most difficult times of a marriage, of parenting, of put your whatever you want to put on it. When you know this is what God told me to do, this is what the word says, I'm going to walk in it, that's when the supernatural comes in to our lives. It comes in and strengthens us in a supernatural way. Let's look at one more scripture here. Verse 6. Now when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. This is one of the most powerful things we ever really see Jesus doing I mean, he, it's hard to quantify. I mean, raising the dead this, that, he's God. But for a man to step forward and say three words and something like out of a, a comic book or a new Marvel movie where it just plows through everyone there and they fall to the ground is so supernatural. Whether it was his divinity, just escaping out of his, his, uh, the, his, uh, his body. It was just so powerful, whether he had been in such strong presence of the Lord before and coming to this place of the cross, it, it was just about to erupt. You know, the earth just about split apart at the, um, uh, uh, at the crucifixion. The Bible says that the rock split. Now, imagine the, a spring and you compress that spring down and compress it until there's so much... Pressure on that thing. God in flesh being cru- crucified was so powerful, it just about split the earth up, you know? That's how powerful it was. And that's the picture here also. How did Jesus have that power? How did he have that? He found it in the garden. I don't seek power for power's sake. You don't either, I know. You only want it to live a victorious life. You only want it to bring Him glory and honor. But I'm going to tell you, I have found in this sinful world that you can't do it without the power of God. It may sound cliche, but I can't serve the Lord a day in victory without the power of God in my life. I mean, without the Holy Spirit involved in my life, there is too much wickedness and sin and everything else. I'll tell you where that power is found. Number five on your notes. God's power is found in surrender. It was in that garden, on his knees, repeating, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. That the power of God was so strong when he got up and said, I am he, that the biggest, baddest things on this planet, the gladiator people, were falling to the ground And it's found in surrender. I want the power of God in my life. Don't you? You need to to desire it. It's not a selfish thing. It's not a self-glorifying thing. It's saying, God, I can't do this. I'm so dependent on you. I'm just daily surrender. And you'll fill me with your power. Amen? Amen? Let's stand up. Let's also get some airflow back there, please. One last scripture here. Got a few minutes so we can just spend some time with Jesus. I do want to read that that quote on your notes. A sinless man in an appointed garden was about to do battle with Satan's representative. That's what Luke 22, 3 says. Satan entered Judas. That's I'm just quoting the Bible. I know there's a lot of Debate about that, but Luke 22, 3 is pretty clear. The first time this happened in the garden, the sinless man fell, Adam. The second Adam would not fail. Look at the correlation there. The tempter comes into the garden to talk to the sinless, to pull him down where he is. And and humanity fell the first time, the second time. Oh, God came down. Oh, I love it. What a beautiful picture of victory there in that garden, of surrender there in that garden, of obedience there in that garden. Here's a picture I saw many years ago on a child's trip. I was a child, excuse me. On a trip to Washington, (laughs) D.C., my mother brought us, piled us up in the tank of a... um, was that big suburban, not a suburban, a station wagon, you know, with the seat that faced the back. It was a totally different trip for that person than whoever was in the front. Went to Washington, D.C. This is at, was at the National Art Gallery. And I was doing this, I was reading this, and I was studying it. And when I was reading it, I read that part, and that picture from years ago, I really don't remember exactly, I was sub 12, I think, maybe sub 10, came to my mind, and I went and found it online. And there's multiple pictures of this in art and people have painted and all that. But this one stuck in me, even as as a child. The Lord really used this picture because in my life, even in my mess-ups and this and that, I never, ever struggled that God was enough, was powerful enough to do whatever. He could do it. Because I saw this picture and I saw just... And I thought, God's big enough. He's big enough. He can do it. Amen? That's kind of the theme, right? It was what Larry said. That's it. He's going to do it. So let's come to Him. Let's ask Him as we seek the Lord here for a few minutes. Well, I want you to worship. I want you to pray. Some of you may need to just intercede a little bit and surrender. Say, not my will, but yours be done. Some of you may need to, to intercede a bit. Say, God, I need you to supernaturally move in this area let's just spend a few minutes with him just like we did at the beginning of service it's all about him, we're just getting right back with him again as we worship just spend some time with your Savior
1: there's power in the name of Jesus there's power in the name of Jesus There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain,
0: break every chain, to break
2: every chain. Prayer
0: team can come up. We're going to keep worshiping. If you need prayer for anything, come up. Whenever you need to. Let's just keep worshiping. Worship him if you need prayer. Get someone to agree with you. Break that. There is power in
1: the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To Break every chain. 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 There is time.
0: Being that that we see in our lives are in people we love, but God of heaven and earth, you are the chain breaker. You are the bondage breaker. The blood of Jesus is the bondage breaker. The Spirit of the Lord is the bondage breaker. So I thank you, God, that we pray corporately over family, over friends, and over situations. Lord, we step into your will and we say fill the environment, the area we are with your power, with your power, no matter what armies against us, no matter what's going on in our culture, or that should be right and is wrong. Lord, I thank you that as we surrender our lives, Come on, we commit to it right now. We surrender our lives to you. Not our will, but yours be done. You are causing us supernaturally to be lifted on our feet and to step forward, to step forward into any situation and every situation. And we're not just stepping forward. We're stepping forward in the power of God, in the power of God. God is sending some of you to hostile situations and environments they look hostile and in fact they are but you will go there into with his power you will step into it by the Holy Spirit and by his power and that those unbelieving people will see and experience the power of God they will see and experience the power of God Lord thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives Oh, yes, Lord, well, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. Oh, increase our faith this year. while well, we take the limits off you. We thank you for what you're doing. You are a good God with good plans, Lord. Thank you so much. We give you our lives. Oh, freely, joyfully, happily. Here we are, Lord. Use us. Use us, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. And we pray and ask and praise the name above all names. Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and amen. Let's give
2: Him praise in His house. Come on, for His power. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just one more minute. Just thank Him. Just praise Him. It's not enough to do a five-second clap. That's just what we do. Come on. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we praise you. We trust you. We give you everything. We won't be silent. We step forward in faith and power and truth by the living God. Oh, Holy Spirit. You can't make it. That's the Spirit of God coming alive in you, being birthed and doing a growing in you. That's the Holy Spirit doing a work in you even now. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on now. Last time. Here we go. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We trust you. We believe in you. Thank you, God god amen and amen i mean say it with faith amen let it be so let it be so that's what amen means let it be so come on now go out and have a great day full of the power and presence of god amen